Today, James Pierce is a park ranger at the National Mall and Memorial Parks in Washington, D.C. But this is a second career for James. We'll find out more about him in just a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, and you are listening to Mind Talk. Delighted to have you with us today and every day. Today's guest had quite the full life before choosing to become a park ranger, so let's meet him now. James Pierce was an Army Staff Sergeant. James Pierce is also a highly decorated veteran, as well as a recipient of the Purple Heart after being wounded in the line of duty in 2012. James, welcome to Mind Talk. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. James, you enlisted in the United States Army National Guard in 2001. Why? I was looking at several different colleges at the time, and I went to a recruiting fair up at Appalachian State University and talked to an ROTC cadre member, and he told me or led me towards uh, joining the North Carolina Army National Guard. And what were your expectations when you joined the National Guard? I wanted to serve my country. Um, I wanted to give back to the community and um, also just do my part. Now, you... Your life before you joined the National Guard, can you give us just a a tiny snippet of what your routine was before you joined the Army? So in high school, I lettered in three different sports, cross-country track, and I also wrestled. Um, Wrestled for two years in middle school and then four years in high school, and then um, wrestled a little bit up at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. So you were very, very active, it sounds like, when you were in school. And you were in high school, so you were doing what happens in high school, right? Going to school, yes. having your friends. and then Yes, trying to stay out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to ask you how successful you were. When you joined the National Guard, you, your life changed. How did it change? September 11th happened, and uh, that kind of changed the course of my military career. How so? Um... Well, I went to boot camp in December of 2002, right after 9-11. And so while at boot camp, I went with a lot of guys that were from New York, roughly about half my classmates, and they told me the stories um, and things that happened at uh, the World Trade Center and and some um, pretty detailed information. And um, after graduating in 2002, I was mobilized to go to Iraq in 2004. And so I got deployed to Iraq in roughly around 2005 and, and got home September 16th of 2006. Your first tour in Iraq, um, that was Operation Iraqi Freedom? Yes, ma'am. What was that like? At the time, I had joined the military to launch missiles, but obviously we didn't have that capacity and or need to fulfill that so they reclassed us into 88 mics. Um, 88 mics is 88 mics is basically a, a truck driver. So our unit was reclassed and then um, retasked to deliver goods and services all throughout Iraq. That seems like a huge change, though. You you joined thinking that you would be launching missiles, and then you were retasked into providing humanitarian aid. Is what it sounds like. Um, that's real different, isn't it? Yes, it, it uh, yes it was. At the time, it was one of the most considered one of the most dangerous jobs 
um, because we were a, kind of what's called a soft target. And what does it mean to be a soft target? Uh, very vulnerable. We only had like three gun trucks, but we're mainly just shipping goods and anything from beans to bullets up to bases that need resupply. And and what were you traveling in um, as you were carrying these supplies back and forth? Armored truck, you were really safe or not so much? When we first started, um, we had what's called on bolt-on armor, basically just patches of uh, metal literally glued to the truck to kind of protect us. And then about halfway through the tour, we got upgraded to Class 3 armor, which was uh, pretty safe. It's basically the same um, armor in Bradley. So towards the end of the deployment, we were we were pretty safe. But the, the main, tro- main transportation was an M15 truck, I believe it was called. So basically uh, just an um, armored, um, what you would call a day service truck. It sounds scary. Nah, nothing to it. Nothing to it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, you just you got to do it. It's, it's part of your job, so. This was such a different, though, life for you. I just wonder if there were any things that you had to do in particular just to kind of prepare yourself psychologically for being in a different space, in a different place, uh, in a place that maybe wanted you there, maybe not so much. At the time, I was uh, a junior at Appalachian State University going through school, so it was uh, quite the change from going from a college kid to um, basically a full-time soldier, so that was a little bit of a change. But I was in the Army ROTC at Appalachian State as well, so it, they did their best to uh, kind of prep me for that mission. And it, it sounds like they did a good job in preparing you. I think they did. And tell us about Operation Enduring Freedom. What was what was that one? So I got back from Iraq in 2006, and then I graduated um, from school in, or at, from Appalachian State in 2009, and then I went on a humanitarian mission in 2011, and then fast forward to uh, 2012, I was deployed to Afghanistan. The transition from being a soldier to being back in school and being a college student, how did you navigate that? Was that difficult for you? A little bit. Uh, coming back at 25 years old and, and being a junior in college was uh, a little different everywhere. And you, you just try to blend back in, and, and uh, definitely your mind changes quite a bit. Uh, most of my friends that originally started with me were obviously in the workforce, and here I am at 25 just trying to uh, finish up my degree and uh, going to college parties, and they're all asking, is, is that a cop? You know, so <laughs> it was quite different. So at 25, you were still kind of hanging out, and were you dating at the time? No, not really off and on here and there. Nothing serious. Would you say that your experiences prior to returning to complete college had an impact on how you saw yourself as an individual? Yes. um, Before leaving and then coming back, it it helped me mature quite a bit, kind of helped me focus on life goals and what I wanted to accomplish. And when you finished college, what was your plan? I wanted to become an Army officer, and I wanted to 
possibly one day be a park ranger. So I, I have a degree in parks and recreation. That's interesting. A degree in parks and recreation. You, where did you study for that degree? Appalachian State University. Th- that's what you were there studying. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so that's interesting because you, your uh, wish to be a park ranger predated, it sounds like, your time in in Iraq and in the National Guard. That was already in your yes. kind of your heart. Yes, I, I was taking a lot of entry-level classes, and in 2002, I had a professor named Dr. Amant, and intro to parks and recreation, and Honestly, he, he kind of changed my life, and um, just I ended up switching my major. How, how did he change your life? It exposed me to parks and, and recreation because I, whenever I was a kid, I was always hunting and fishing with my father, and uh, I didn't really realize that was a, a career path that you could choose. I, I think a lot of people don't realize that that's a career path you could choose. I want to um, backtrack a bit. You were... Uh, on a humanitarian mission, uh, and that's where you were injured. That was post. No. Okay. I, I was injured in um, Afghanistan. Okay. All right. And that was in 2012, correct? Yes, ma'am. Okay. What we're going to do right now, James, is take a break, and when we come back, I want to pick up with. Uh, you're telling us a little bit about what that mission was and how it, in many ways, changed your life. Folks, this is Pamela Brewer. You are listening to Mind Talk, and I'm having a conversation with park ranger James Pierce. Don't go away. We'll be right back. October 1st, 2012, what was going on in your life? So I was deployed um, to Coast Providence in Afghanistan, and we were doing a dismounted patrol through the city. Um, We stopped roughly around about a mile and a half to do what's called a uh, TCP or traffic control point, and then we're going to roll into a raid, basically a search and seizure of a house. Um, We had a a tip from ANAs or Army National, uh, Afghan National Army, that they were making bombs in a certain location and so we had stopped at the PCP and that's when the guy came um, the Afghan National Army 
a soldier came out and blew himself up. Blew himself up in front of you? Yes. That must have been quite an experience. Was that the first time you had encountered a suicide bomber? Yes, and hopefully it'll be the last. I do understand <laughs> that. In in that immediate aftermath, what do you recall? Um, well, he, he came up, and when he blew himself up, it, um, it pretty much decimated the whole vicinity. Uh, there was 12 ANAs, or Afghan National Army, soldiers that were killed, and three of my team members that were killed instantly, and I was one of three survivors. One of three survivors? Yes, ma'am. Fifteen people dead, it sounds like. Yes. What kind of injuries did you sustain? Uh, my left leg was shattered. Uh, my left wrist was shattered. I had taken shrapnel in my thigh um, and also my left shoulder. So it hit uh, hit me all, pretty much on my left side. How were you taken out of that? I mean, it, when the once the, the bombing had occurred and you kind of recognized that there were many injuries, well, there were many deaths and a few injuries, you among them, what was then the process to get you to relative safety and to care? Um, so the, the medic came up and um, whenever... He originally came up on me. I was on fire from the uh, the explosion, and so he put the the fire out and um, grabbed me by what's called my I can't remember that technical term, but just grabbed me by my vest and took me to the CCP, which is the casualty collection point. And from there, they started working on me, putting on tourniquets on on both legs and my left arm, and uh, giving me an IV and, and basically just working on me, trying to keep me alive. You know, James, I, I, I've talked to people who have um, been on fire as a result of explosions, not your experience, but other kinds of experiences. And I'm struck by the very matter-of-fact way in which you describe it. Um, the tone of your voice doesn't particularly change. It's like, you know, I was here, and then I was there, and then I was on fire. Is that a skill? I don't know. It was... Um, it's just what happened. I mean, I, I have to live with what happened, and it, it was part of my job. I just had a bad day on the job. That's quite a bad day on the job. Well, yeah. How long were you uh, in treatment for your injuries? So from there, I was medevaced. It took me about five days to get home because I caught a um, heavy fever in Germany, um, and I almost died in Germany, but uh, I, fortunately I got out of the fever and then they, they flew me to Walter Reed National Medical Military Center in Bethesda on October 5th. And that's Bethesda, Maryland? Yes, ma'am. And how was your care when you arrived in Bethesda, Maryland? It was, looking back on it, it was really good. I, I stayed in intensive care for about two to three months um, and went through 12 different surgeries because they had to uh, put a whole bunch of rods in my legs and then a whole bunch of plates in my arms to kind of reconstruct it. Two to three months in, uh, two months in intensive care is a very, very long time. Yes, yes it is. It took uh, quite the toll on my family. 
how did your family navigate through all of this? I'm assuming they were at your side as much as they could be. Yes. Um, what's kind of ironic about the whole situation, with going back to the time that I was actually hit, um, my parents were at this my sister's hospital from my sister just had a baby literally an hour apart um, from when I was hit. Oh, my. So they were at opposite ends of the spectrum as they were dealing with their own emotions. Yes, they were happy um, welcoming into the world Baby Blake. So. <laughs> and and very frightened for son James. Yes, uh, when they first found out the information, they, they didn't give him all the details. They had no idea of the severity of, of which I was injured. As you recovered what kinds of thoughts were you having about how your life was going to be moving forward and and what your physical mobility skills were going to be like at the time um this may sound kind of crazy but i was wanting to get back in the fight i told him the the doctors just to patch me up uh give me a good wheelchair and and give me a uh, couple of guns and i was going to go back in country the way i was and, you know, I, I hear that a lot from folks, that they're just ready to go back. And tell us about that. What's that mindset? You're, you're there, you're in the hospital, you're in pain. You know, in a lot of ways, your, your life is in pieces, just sort of emotionally. But you're ready to get back on the horse, so to speak, and go back out and, and do what you consider to be your job. How do, how do you do that? How do you get there? I don't really know how you get there, but it was a sense of letting my team members down, uh, letting my unit down. Um, I just felt like I wasn't, I mean, I trained my whole life for that moment, and I couldn't basically get up and, and continue to fight, so I'd, I'd been knocked down for a little bit. And so when you told the doctors just to patch you up and send you back out, what'd they say to you? <laughs> I said, we'll, we'll get right on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And indeed, when you did find yourself being released from uh, from ICU, were you sent to rehab? What was your healing and recovery like after ICU? Yeah, so that was uh, pretty extensive because I didn't know um, if I was going to keep my leg or not. Uh, I'm what's called a limb salvage program. Basically, my left from my left knee down, it's it's pretty useless I guess you could say it's, it's, I mean it's still there but I don't have any mobility on my ankle and so it took me about seven months to, to really get up and start walking again and, and then getting in, seriously into the rehab and how long were you in rehab three years three years mm-hmm. what were those three years like for you uh, first year was the most difficult because um, I chose to basically keep my leg and it took me seven to eight months just to put weight on it and to to really start walking again and then it took me about six months to um start running again and then after that uh, i went through the the period of either going back active duty or um staying in or basically switching my job and then uh, i decided to uh get out and um about the last year, I started my internship, um, well, two years of internship with the National Park Service. 
that sounds like a long internship. Let me let me go back to your um, interest in working with the National Park Service. You had a professor who really sort of turned you around in terms of making you aware of what was possible for your study. What kinds of things did you study to get the degree that you ultimately received? Um, well, intro to park management, upper level park management, um, group dynamics, group leadership, um, I mean, several various courses. But it's interesting that part of your training was how to manage groups and, and leadership and and group dynamics as well as management. That's really kind of fascinating. Yes, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. All right, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we will continue. And I really would like to focus on your time uh, as a uh, park ranger and what that what that entails for you today, folks. This is Mind Talk. I'm Pamela Brewer. We'll be right back. James, today you are Park Ranger James Pierce. What does that mean? What does a park ranger actually do? So there's several different uh, ways to become a park ranger, but in my specific um, title is Group Volunteer Coordinator for National Mall Memorial Parks. And so what does that mean? What's a day like for you? A little bit of everything. Um, but what I'm supposed to do is take big, large groups and assign them volunteer projects throughout National Mall Memorial Parks. So we have about 149 reservations and about 1,000 acres to include, you know, the Washington Monument, Jefferson Memorial, and Lincoln Memorial. That sounds like uh, more than one's fair share of responsibility. It's a lot of responsibility, but it's a lot of fun. One of the areas that you're responsible for, I believe, is the American Veterans Disabled for Life Memorial. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. And and what's that like for you, being responsible for the 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 care of that particular site? Uh, that memorial that memorial means a lot to me because I was there on the dedication of October fifth of twenty fourteen off the top of my head. But uh, it's the only memorial here in DC that's dedicated to living disabled veterans. So it it's personally meaning for you as, as well as just sort of philosophically because I know that being able to serve your country you've said uh, has been the biggest reward of your life so this particular memorial is is both a, a personal and a philosophical uh, wonder for you I would think in a lot of very positive ways yes yes it is it's um, one thing I like to tell my volunteers that are coming in is that they're giving back to the community, but they're giving back to the National Park Service, but they're also giving back to this great nation, which so many men and women have sacrificed their lives to uh, and uh, ideals that we hold so dear. And do you find yourself telling your volunteers a little bit about your story? Uh, yes, I do. I try to uh, tell it whenever it's um, appropriate. 
And what kind of responses do you get from them? All different types. Um, for the most part, it's, I guess uh, the, the best time is, is really relevant and to really bring home of why they're volunteering for the National Park Service and what it means. You know, you're just not picking up trash and you're also giving back. And um, to, to really nail that down. And for those listening who might be, first of all, not even aware that you could volunteer for the Park Service, and then wonder what they could actually do if they were to volunteer, what do you say to them? It depends on what you want to do. There's a little bit of everything for everybody. Give us a sense of what some of the range of things are that people can do. Um, So on my end, I do a lot of maintenance, physical maintenance, where they they paint, um, they put down mulch, they plant flowers, they weed, um, we clean signs, we clean grates, wash walls. There's all sorts of stuff. So it sounds like somebody who, for example, was interested in landscaping um, would really benefit from volunteering. They'd get a lot of on-the-job training. Yes, and you also have the interpretation side of the house. So if you like to give talks, you like to um, do customer service, um, talk to children, we also have that as well. So it sounds like you guys are the reasons why the Park Service looks as good as it does. (laughs) I don't don't know about all that, but we try. (laughs) For those listening who would like to get more information about becoming a volunteer at the Park Service, where can they go for information? So there's a park pretty much all park for you anywhere across the United States. Just simply go to volunteer.gov and plug in your location and uh, the nearest park should come up for you. And then that explains what you need to do to move forward with your application. Yes, ma'am. And it'll application will come up and you fill it out and uh, it'll go to the volunteer coordinator at that specific park and they'll plug you in. So while you are in Washington, D.C., people all over the states can become a part of this work that you do. Yes, ma'am, all the way out to to Hawaii, Guam, and the Virgin Islands as well. So you name it, we're there. Tell us very briefly what your life is like today. How are you doing? I can't complain whatsoever. Uh, My job is great. Um, We had one of the biggest projects that we've ever done this last Saturday with the Boy Scouts of America where we had 330 volunteers come in. Wow. So So it was for National Public Lands Day. So you're doing well, and that is so good to hear. Yes, ma'am. And for those who are listening, I'm going to beat them to the punch and say thank you so much for your service, and thank you for your time today. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And, folks, thank you for joining me on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service, and it is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a mental health, medical health, or other professional. You can always listen on demand by going to mindtalk.org. That's M Y N D T A L K dot O R G. Want to remind you that. There are free giveaways. You just need to go to the MindTalk website, sign up, and we will take it from there. I'd love to know where you are as you're listening today, so do send an email to me or any questions you may have to Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. That's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And remember always, folks, if it's unacceptable, 
It's unacceptable. You take care. Thank you.